Hola, hola, it's your girl Erica from America. Welcome to the Confidence Chronicles podcast. This podcast is all about helping you stand in who you are. Stop giving a fuck what people think about you. Start standing as your fully expressed self. As you are, as is, there is no filter needed. You are fucking awesome, and I am here to remind you. I'm a confidence coach, and I'm a bold stand for confidence, and I cannot wait to dig into today's episode with you. My loves, welcome to the podcast. Today, we have an incredible interview with an amazing woman who I have been looking up to forever since I saw her speak at the Business Chicks event, Kemi Nekvapil. Oh, what an amazing and empowering woman that she is. English born with a Nigerian heritage, she spent her entire childhood in foster care and she draws on her early experiences of disempowerment to inspire other women to create lives of worthiness and fulfillment. She was an actress, she was a yoga teacher, she worked with food, she coaches, she's a business coach, she's a speaker, she is a trailblazer and thought leader. She recently went to Texas and became certified in Brene Brown's Dare to Lead training. She's so hilarious and unapologetic. She's exciting and amazing and so deep. We had the best chat. I could talk to her forever. I'm so excited that we have her here in Australia, although she's originally from the UK. She is just a powerhouse, and this episode is going to be a great one. I'm so happy to bring you, Kemi. Enjoy the episode. Kemi, welcome to the podcast, finally. It is great to be here, Erica. Your smile like is so contagious. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling because I'm allowed to go places. Yeah. <laughs> we have been locked down. This we were just talking before we started recording how challenging. And you said something beautiful. I'd love for you to share what you said to me about the boats because that was incredible. Yeah, I just heard this as a psychologist talking on the radio the other day, and he said we all have to have empathy with how everyone is navigating lockdown but also re-emergence into the world. And he said we have all been in the same storm, but we are all in different boats. Mm. And it just had me take a breath because I thought that is such a beautifully powerful way to kind of verbalise what we've all experienced. We've all Mm. experienced this. And I think for those that aren't in Victoria and haven't been in lockdown for six months, it's hard to understand and to empathise what it's actually been like for those of us that have been navigating it. And, yes, we've survived it. But, you know, surviving a crisis takes something, you know. Mm. It's depleting, it's draining, it's fatiguing. And now that we're out of it, I think even for myself, I'm feeling like, yeah, like this last six months is, I, I would say that in the six months I've done well, I'm a homebody, I'm an introvert, being at home is fine. Where my energy has been depleted is that I haven't been able to have any time on my own. Yeah. And I need that regularly and I normally have that in my schedule. It's what I need so that I can show up in the world in the way that I need to show up. And in kind of realising, okay, now I can go places, I'm like, yeah, I need to go somewhere on my own. <laughs> can everybody leave? Can yeah. you all go places? And, so can... and they <laughs> left. And that's, that's what I was waiting for. And I think that's what's really interesting. I think yeah. I was waiting for, oh, when my husband goes back to work and when my kids go back to school, then it will be fine. And it's actually like, no, I actually need to leave home and go somewhere else on my own. And I know that that will fill my cup so I can then 
finish out the year in a way that is, you know, useful to me and for others. Yes. Yeah. And it's so good. Obviously, you know what you need from doing this work for so long. Yeah. And you've been in the wellness industry for over 25 years now. Is that? That's true. Wow. Yeah, that is true. I, I first started, I would say that I first started in my yoga practice. So that was 20. Well, I started at 20 and I'm 46 now. So 26 years ago. My goodness. You look 26, please. Oh, my gosh. That <laughs> Oh, that's Um, crazy. That was my, and and it, and it manifested in different ways. I worked in London's first organic cafe um, as well. So that kind of, you know, with that whole idea around food as well, teaching yoga, practicing yoga, meditation, all of those things um, has definitely been my foundation in a very, for a, for a very long time. And it is a practice, you know, I know that people are listening some people say, oh, God, that bloody meditation and yoga. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, look, I'm in, I've been in for 26 years and when I had children, that was five minutes in the shower was my meditation practice. Yeah. It doesn't look like orange robes, you know. Mm. It's like <laughs> how do I look after myself in the world, um, being mindful of the chapter that I'm in in my life with no shooting all over myself and yeah. no judging. Um, there's a lot of self-compassion that comes into that space for me. It's it's so important too because I, I always say my old ritual, like I used to listen when the kids were little. They're three and five now, and I know you have teenagers. I want to talk about that because that's a whole nother that's a whole nother ball game, right? Game. <laughs> but they used to I used to listen to all these podcasts with these high achieving men, and they'd be like, "What's your ritual every morning for sixty minutes?" And I'm like, "The wiggles and toast, and I burn incense, so I pretend that I'm doing something for me." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, isn't it, is that we have to be careful of who we're comparing ourselves to. Mm. I hear those men, some, and some of them are, you know, incredible men with incredible rituals, but I'm always thinking, yeah, and what's your partner doing? Yeah. <laughs> while, while you're doing all that, awesome. What's your partner doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> Who's making you breakfast, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, doing that yeah. And for me, for women, it's us being able to say, oh, I also deserve to have the space to do those things too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I heard you speak at Business Chicks and I interviewed Sam Gash. Shout out to Sam Gash on the podcast. One of my nearest. nearest We speak every day, practically. She's amazing. Like, yeah, amazing woman. And she told me, you shouldn't. I'm like, I know Kimmy. I I don't know her. I love her. I love her, but I don't know her. And she's like, she's my best friend. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I'm going to get to speak to Kemi on the podcast. Yeah, We chatted for a long time. It was just, just so good. And it's been so powerful this year, especially because of our, the, the pandemic and, and social distancing and not leaving our homes. I feel like we've used the internet to connect with some really incredible people and be of service. Yeah. And it's just, I've never been able to connect with women on this level because we almost had to find another way. Yeah, exactly. And I would have to say one thing for me, I was definitely, I'm not what you'd call a tech early adopter in any way, (laughs) (laughs) in any way. And I also have to say that at the beginning, especially the first lockdown in Melbourne, I was like, oh, I actually, suddenly I get it. I actually get it now Mm. how social media can be used for a force for good, Um, especially around Black Lives Matter. Mm. Um, and you know, and I have to say, as a black person, not like oh, when it erupted, it's like, well, no, it's been here for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. For those of us in the know that are living it, we know it's been around for a long time. I said that when it's become mainstream consciousness this year, yeah, and suddenly seeing how we could mobilize each other and support each other in that time through social media was incredibly powerful. I also, though, have have to say as well that there are also boundaries 
that yep. I place around conversations that I was willing to have on social media around certain things during this time. Yes, and I saw that. Yep. Yeah, and it's, it's important. Like, it's important because there are certain spaces that I do not wish to have conversations about certain things with complete strangers that I do not know. Yes. Um, and so even though I felt that it was a very galvanizing force, I also think that we need to set boundaries around social media as well as individuals, whatever that looks like. Yeah, yeah. And this is like such a year for boundaries. It's such a year for, you know, your space and knowing who you're listening to and what you're listening to and who you're letting in. Even with the whole COVID thing, I remember hearing people saying, you know, there's nothing on the shelves. And I'm like, is that true? There's nothing on the shelves. Like, don't call me mother-in-law telling me that because that stresses me out. Yeah. And it's, it's knowing who to connect with, who to talk to, who to listen to social media. It's been huge for that. And I remember when I first heard you speaking at business chicks and you said something about empowerment and inspiration that I was like, and then I found out you were a foster child too, because I am too. And I was like, oh my gosh. And all these things that I have been stuck in you, girl, all the things that I <laughs> in a non, no, it's creepy. It's definitely a creepy way. I'm like home birth. Oh my gosh. Foster child, actress. I want to be an actress. I love acting. And I was like, you love Idris Alba. Oh my gosh. I tell my you. husband a little bit looks like Idris Alba sometimes. <laughs> in a a weird, sometimes. Sometimes. Yes. Uh, Sri Lankan Idris Alba. <laughs> yes. my, my husband is is a white male, so he never looks like Idris Alba. <laughs> I can't even I can't even say that. Like, sometimes no. I could say, Oh, you look a little mm. bit like uh, he thinks sometimes he looks like Ben Affleck and I'm like, mm, oh. he's never really done <laughs> um, but yes, Idris. I always hope I'd met him first. But anyway. <laughs> Idris, shout out to, we love him and I love like I just was like these are, there's so many things and when Sam says she's my friend I'm like incredible and you run and you do t- tell me like what don't you do first of all because it's all the things you are you a Gemini as well because no I'm a Leo oh a Leo. yeah um uh, what don't I do I don't play tennis I don't ski um <laughs> I don't suffer fools gladly. I was told in my school report when I was 12 and I didn't know what that meant. Um, and I had to go home and go, what does that mean? I don't suffer fools gladly. Um, and I think what I would what I would say about that now is what it meant was I'm not very good at sort of hanging around for people's um, BS and inauthenticity. Yes. That's what I would say. And then if I would add my um sort of spiritual practice to that as well it also means and and that's not a judgment it's just that I know the people that I want to spend Mm. I am now in my 40s and I'm female so I'm really like my bs radar is very (laughs) (laughs) it must come in handy too with what you do with your work yeah yeah and also that I know like maybe I've only got 40 years left you know and and that's important I feel very much like I have work to do here and I need I'm at a point now in my life where I get to say where I spend my time and who I spend my time with and who I work with mm-hmm. um, and, and who stages I want to step on as a speaker and who I get to work with as clients, like, and what a gift and what a joy all of that is. Yes. Um, but I only have so much life energy. I have to be really protective of where that energy goes. Yeah. And that's something that all of the listeners can learn from because I think we, when we don't know that we're open and we really kind of like a leaf blowing in the air, going this way and going that way. And the biggest thing my audience struggles with, and the biggest thing I love to talk about is a hashtag called hashtag FWOT, which stands for fuck what others think, but not in a bad way in like a fuck that, like not fuck you, but fuck that. We don't have time for that. I'm going to do what I'm doing and you're going to be wrong about me and that's okay. And no one knows who we are. How do you feel that you've gained this? I know there's so much that you've done, but what was a point for you? 
Well, I think that what, what I would add to that as well, I, I, I definitely get the sentiment of that acronym, which is really long, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to remember <laughs> it, but I get it. But what, what, what I sort of try and bring to that is that actually we do care what people think because mm. we come from tribes. And if we were not useful in that tribe, if we were not valued, we'd be thrown out of the tribe. So what I started to talk about is that actually that kind of what other people think is encoded in us where our power comes from and where our confidence comes from is being really discerning on who those people are. Mm. There are certain people in our lives where actually it matters what they think. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that it should matter, but it does. So therefore I think the work becomes, you know, in regards, let's look at family and parents, yeah, yeah. you know, depending on our backgrounds and where we've come from. And I would say for me, a gift I have from being fostered is that I don't have that one governing body that tells me this is who you need to be. This is who you, you know, actually it's given me a sense of freedom. Um, but for a lot of people, that's not the case. And their family is kind of their overarching. I yeah. care what you think. Will you love me if yes. I leave the corporate job? Will you love me if I do the thing, if I marry the person that you may not approve of? Will you love me if I do something different than what you think I should be doing? What I try and do with clients when that comes up or speaking to audiences is to look at, you know, what is the message that you were given and what have you made that mean, which is generally you, I won't be loved, I won't belong. Mm. And then the difficult, hard conversations that come from that is going back to those people and saying, I have this idea that if I do that thing, you won't love me. Is that true? And when it's put into clear words like that, generally the people that love us are going to go, no, mm. like I care about you and I'm worried for you and I'm scared for you, but actually I will love you no matter what you do. And if that question is asked and they're like, yeah, that's kind of true, I won't, you know, like, <laughs> then you may then decide, okay, there's a boundary. You know, Glenn yeah. Doyle talks about it very much in her book in Untamed about the islands. Yes. Oh, I've made that book. Yeah, you know, within her parents are just saying, I love you, but you cannot come, you cannot come in and cause havoc in my family. Yes. You cannot, you cannot cause insecurity in my heart around the life that I want to live. And I love you, but I love you from a distance and maybe we'll rejoin, reconnect in another way. Yeah. But, but I need to create safety for me. And at the moment, you're safe for me. You know, so I think yeah. you know, my role as a coach is not to tell people what to do because I understand that we all come from different places. My role as a coach is to create a space where people can unpick what is going on for them and then find their confidence, their empowerment and their self and their power in that space that's individual to them. Yeah, so letting go of the story that they maybe feel about the people that they care about or the people that they love and yeah. going forward to ask them. Yeah, have possibly, that open, yeah, if they can, you know, yeah. possibly going to them if they're lucky enough to have people they can go to and say, is that true? Um, and if they can't, then maybe we have to do that work for ourselves, which is possible. Sometimes the people around us cannot give us what we need. Mm. We need to find other people that can or we just need to do that work for ourselves. But, um, and that's freedom. It's so freedom when yeah. you let go of something that may or may not be true. Or it, yeah. if it yeah. is, you could, like you said, you can create a boundary to go, cool, that's what you think. Like my mother's very Pentecostal yeah. and she wants me to read the Bible. And I'm like, I love you, but I'm not going to read the Bible. And that's your thing. But it's so good for her. Yeah. And it's in her whole value system. Yeah. And for me, it works and we can love each other. Yes. Without putting yeah. our stuff on each other. You can be in your boat, she mm -hmm. can be in her boat, and you can look at each other's boats and go, what a beautiful boat. I'm staying in mine, but I look, I like your boat. Yes. Yeah. Your boat suits you, Mama. Yeah, your All boat. All the way in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be throwing rocks at your boat. Yes. <laughs> your boat. And I'm going to be going to mine.
No flare throwing at the boat. Yeah, exactly. No, no cannons at the boat. Although I hope you fall off and get in the water a little bit sometimes. No. <laughs> but you know what's beautiful about that is that she's thinking the same about you. Yeah. Aww. Like that's that's what we do. We find things and we want we want the people that we care about to kind of, you know, to take it on. And yet love comes from allowing that, that just knowing that sometimes people don't take on the things that mm. we take on. And, and for me, you know, I actually was doing a presentation the other day and, and someone asked um, in the chat box, you know, how do I get my leader to be more authentic? And I just burst out laughing. Like, I, <laughs> I found that hilarious. And I said, you can't. Like, no one can make anyone else. Yeah, yeah. All we can do is work out what integrity looks like for us and what authenticity is for us and model that. And that is hard. It's easy trying to change other people over there. The hard work is actually looking at ourselves and doing the work that we need to do. Yes. Yeah. And it's such a great word too when it comes to parenting as well. A lot of the listeners and mothers, it's like your kids don't listen to what you say. They watch what you do and they're going to model us. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's no point in saying to your kids, eat broccoli while you're eating pizza. Yeah. (laughs) With no broccoli on it. (laughs) Yeah. Who wants to do that? No. That broccoli pizza from the Inside Out movie. Oh, my God. It's so interesting for me. It's kind of like if I'm doing that kind of food, like I don't want to see anything green. I remember when I first went to Australia with my husband and we went out for breakfast and he ordered, he ordered. I think it was called an English breakfast, and it arrived and it had spinach and avocado on it. And I was like, what, what is this? He goes, why is there green stuff on it? Why do you want fried dead stuff? Hash browns, no. <laughs> kind of unidentifiable like is it a hash brown i don't know yeah you gotta go to america for that it's like yeah. what is is that roadkill i actually don't know what this is but it's delicious no yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh okay i want to go to the thing that i read about you with the foster homes and such an interesting like upbringing background nigerian parents you were born in the uk can you take us to that like that beginning part of your life I know yeah, you've talked so about it so much, but it's kind of context as well around that. As yes. Well. So, um, and, and this is really interesting. This is part of me. I realized after speaking to a friend who I'd known for many years, we were chatting one day and she went, God, and it's just so bad that your parents were crack addicts. So I went, what? What? <laughs> she goes, yeah. You're, and I said, where did you get that from? She goes, oh, well, you said you were fostered. I said, it doesn't involve crack. There's no crack involved. <laughs> so for the context for the listeners, so in the 1970s, um, <laughs> well-to-do middle-class Nigerian families were very much indoctrinated to believe, this is colonisation in Nigeria in the 1970s, if you want your children to become anything, you have to send them to England for an education. And, you know, and like many parents, my parents did what they thought was the best for us. They wanted us to become the doctors and the lawyers of Nigeria. So the plan was, the plans we have as parents, (laughs) the plan was that we would be sent to England, we would have an English education and we'd come back to Nigeria and become the doctors and the lawyers. And obviously that's not what happened. Um, I was fostered from the age of two weeks. Um, It was not um, with any kind of governmental framework around that. So that was with my parents knowing people in England or them knowing people in Nigeria that had their kids, a particular family in England. And actually a lot of children disappeared. A lot of Nigerians ended up homeless on the streets at that time because how racism looked in England at that time was like, I'm going to take on a beautiful, I'm going to have a cute black baby, you know? Um, And those cute black babies became toddlers and we all know what toddlers are like. Yeah. 
So then those toddlers would be moved on to another family. These Nigerian parents would come back to England to say, hi, you know, I've come to, you know, where's my kid? Oh, I've moved my, your child on. Now they're with so-and-so. Now they're with so-and-so. A lot of Nigerian children got lost. Oh, my God. I'm very blessed that I didn't. I was fostered with my sister. I'm the eldest of seven, and six of us were fostered in pairs in different foster families. Um, I was very blessed in that my first foster family, who I still call Mummy Olive, um, that I was with her mainly for seven years with my sister. So I don't struggle with what many, many foster children struggle with, that kind of attachment thing, which yeah. is real, you know, that first seven years is so fundamental to attachment. Mm. Um, but, you know, like anyone that's, that's that's been moved around, whether it's a military family, whether it's a foster child, whatever that is, you know, I come with my own childhood wounds. And one of those wounds that really manifested when I was a teenager was that friends would go on holiday and I would believe that I would never see them again. Because my experience of being fostered was that my mum would put us in a foster family and then something would happen around payments. You know, she's working a Nigerian wage and yet, you know, English pounds needed to be paid. She couldn't always meet those payments. So then even though most of my foster families would keep us for longer than the payments had stopped coming, Mm. um, which is why I kind of grew up knowing I was loved. It wasn't like the money stopped, you're out. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... You know, it just turned out that for me, it meant that I'd been moved from these people that I loved so much, my parents, but suddenly they were gone. You know, so this is your mum and dad. Oh, no, now this is your mum and dad. Oh, now this is your mum and dad. Now this is your mum and dad. So then I never knew, I never had that security of knowing, oh, this is my mum and dad and I'm going to be here forever. I always felt like, oh, and, and as we do as children, you take it on as like, oh, I need to be good. Oh, I don't want to be moved on. I don't want to be let go. So I need to be good now and I need to be a good black girl. So that all the complexities of that because one of the in you know one of the racisms that I kind of internalized was you're black but you're a good one you know uh, yeah the kind of message that I was given was oh okay so black people are bad but I'm a good one so I need to be really really good and those people are there that I look like they're the bad ones so that messes with your head mm. you know? yes. um, and so I had five different uh, primary carers growing up, including my mum, who I would see in the holidays. So I kind of had six parents growing up from the age of two weeks to 13. Um, and it so informs work that I do now because having that sense of in- disempowerment as a child, of not knowing who my fundamental carers were, you know, that is so important to me now to create a space because I've had to create what empowerment looks like for me as an individual with that beginning. Um, and basically the work that I do now with with, with women is to create a space where we can create what power looks like for us, you know? Yes. We create a space for ourselves where we belong um, with with our unique selves without apology because I definitely felt that I spent a lot of my life apologising, apologising for the way that I looked within the context, you know, always being the black girl at school, um, always being the black girl in most of the rooms that I found myself in and constantly feeling like, Oh, I have to be grateful for being here. I can't um, yeah. do anything wrong. I can't rock the boat. Um, so, yeah, look, it's been a real unlearning for me um, and it's constant, that mm. unlearning. And it's so interesting with the Black Lives Matter movement that erupted in June around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's death is that for a lot of um, white people, they're learning, but for a lot of us of colour, we're unlearning. Mm. So we're unlearning what we've been told about who we can be, where we can be, yeah. how we can show up in the world. And the beauty about that is that we get to learn and unlearn side by side. And, and that's mm. what makes me hopeful about the change that's occurring. And it's it's so crazy how it happened here because obviously I'm from America. 
And I felt like it was always happening over there. Yeah. I felt like being in Australia when that happened and Will Smith said something. He said, this has always been happening. It's just now getting recorded. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Yeah. And yeah. obviously grateful that people can see it now and go, oh, this is a problem. White people, people that are not of color, not non-black people yeah. and being like, oh my gosh, this is actually a thing. But then being in Australia, I got this whole Australian black lives, like Aboriginal yeah. Torres Strait Islander, like, yeah. And I felt so like, whoa, I felt here. You know, I know you're not from, I mean, you just got your citizenship. I heard as well. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting. I'm waiting too, because I can't wait. I kind of am never going to go back to America. Um, <laughs> but I was just like, there's so much here. And I grew up there and seeing mm -hmm. what happens here yeah. and how I was just like, whoa, I felt like I need to start getting to work and understanding the culture. And, and instead of feeling shame that I didn't know, like get to know. And, and it's an interesting thing, isn't it, because my husband and I, when our kids were 9 and 11, we took them out of school for a year to travel around Australia in a caravan. Wow. And, so, and we already had some um, introduction to some Indigenous communities through my husband's work, through my work, and, and it, was amazing. it was amazing to travel around and to, I mean, to, to be honest, like sometimes I just get absolutely bamboozled. So people would talk to me, you know, the, the racism in Australia is rife against Indigenous yeah. Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders, against the First Nations people. There mm. is no doubt about that. I witnessed conversations where people would say to me, but at least you're not Aboriginal. And I, and I would just be like, yeah, like I don't even know what to say. And then my husband, who's white, would hear things where obviously some people would think, oh, I'm not going to say it in front of her because she might like have some feelings about that. But they would talk openly to him about it and then he'd relay that. To me, um, my husband is a barrister that does a lot of work around Indigenous deaths in custody. So, and one of the things that he felt, he wasn't taught about Indigenous people in school. Mm. Like when we did our trip around Australia, one of his grieving, he was grieving the lies that he had been told in the education wow. system. Um, and it was actually on our trip that he realised this is where I want to, This, you know, he spends a lot of time doing human rights, but he thought, as an Australian, as a white male, this is where I get to use my privilege. That's amazing. Um, and so you're right. Like there's Black Lives Matter over there in, in um, America. There's Black Lives Matter for me growing up in England. And that's why Rene Edo Lodge's book, um, Why I No Longer Talk to White People About Race, is so good. That's kind of my lens. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Indigenous lens here. And, and everywhere there's a reckoning. Yeah. And reckonings are uncomfortable and guilt is of no use. And yes. Shame yes. can actually be useful. Mm. It can be useful, but it's not helpful. But mm. it is part of our human experience, as is guilt. But I think what's more empowering is for all of us to ask what privilege. I know that as a black woman, I don't have race privilege, but I do have ed education privilege. Mm. You know, there are certain privileges that I do have. And my question is not, oh, my gosh, what can I do? My question is, I have privilege and what can I do with my privilege? Yes. That's the, that's the only question I'm interested in. Not, oh, but my privilege, oh, I feel so guilty. Guilt's not helpful. Mm -hmm. Guilt anyone? No. Um, so we all have opportunities. Um, and for those that don't have opportunities, then those of us that do, that's our opportunity. Yes. To not to help, but to support and to meet people that don't have what we have and to ask, mm. how can I support you? Not how can I help you? That's disempowering. No one wants yes. to be helped but how can I support you? Um, yeah. What does empowerment look like for you? What does empowerment feel like for you? That's my question as a coach. I don't know the answer, 
But I know that if I create space for others, they will find their own they answers. They will find answers. it. Yeah. It's so we. I just had Sophie Williams, who she is an anti-racist ally over there in, in the UK. Actually, she came out with the book Millennial Black, and it's she's her work that she's doing there is so incredible. And she came onto the podcast and she was saying how so many people. Her Instagram went from a thousand seven hundred to. Yeah. 200,000 because she started creating these posters and really sharing. And she took it upon herself to start educating and sharing it with people. And Justin Bieber shared it on Instagram and it went crazy. And she was just saying how, how much she'd been asked to educate people Mm -hmm. and how white people were like, so how, and she's just like, no, I mean, in her Instagram, she put a PayPal link. Like if you're getting some value from what I'm teaching you, like it is up to every I mean, I'm a Puerto Rican marginalized woman, but still here in Australia, yeah. I know I knew nothing about what was going on in the culture and, and what your husband's doing is so important. Like, I just felt like it's so beautiful because I get to teach my children and now they are teaching our kids in childcare. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. come home, you know, I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's, I feel like such a, from observer to now an active Australian trying to shift and make some change here myself. Yeah. Cause that's all we can do as individuals. We can look at the whole system and go, it's too big. What can I do? And actually there's, we can all do something. Mm-hmm. We can all do something, whether it doesn't even have to be race. It can like in, in anything, whether it's what's been really interesting, I think around COVID is I've always been someone that's very committed to community. So I do know the names of everyone on my street we hang out. Oh, My neighbors are very close friends. Our kids have grown up together. And, you know, what we have decided as a community, like one of the neighbors decided, I'm going to start a WhatsApp group, you know? And so suddenly we have this kind of interconnected network. Mm. And I love it. I love seeing it where it's, and my, where I had to step up in that space was I'm just, I can't do another WhatsApp group. Yeah. As I said, I really protect my energy. So yeah. I was sort of like, oh God, another WhatsApp group. But I've said, oh, how I need to step up in my community right now is to check in with that WhatsApp group once a week. Yeah. Make the effort, you know, mm. to make the effort to actually see it. It's not necessarily a big thing, but it's for me, my community is important. What do I need to do so that I can show up for my, my community in, the, in this space to support the person that started that? I'm not going to yeah. start a WhatsApp group. Yeah. Has, <laughs> and I can support that. Yes. And I feel like community, I don't know if this, if you think the same, but as a foster kid, I love strangers. I love community. Do you feel like it's something that you got from your upbringing or do you feel like this is something that you've developed? Like you're, I don't know. Cause I feel like foster care for me was like strangers, people, friendliness. Arrive, arrive. That's interesting. I've never actually thought of that, but I, I consciously, my husband and I never taught our children stranger danger. Yeah, uh, I've never really thought of it because I didn't want them to think that everyone they know, I know. doesn't know you is going to hurt you. Like, mm-hmm. That is that is not. I we really wanted to raise our children that the world is a beautiful place where bad things happen. Not oh, I love a that bad place where occasionally beautiful things happen. I love that. But and it's taken. You know, we've had to create boundaries around our children, how we've raised them, the people mm. we want them to be around, because I think. We just wanted to hold their spirit and their soul and just go, the world is beautiful and sometimes bad things happen. And now they're teenagers and now they're working out for themselves. Yeah, bad things happen and there are bad people, but that's not their inherent experience of the world. Um, You know, I love, you know, my son's on Instagram and my daughter's on Instagram and I see the things that they share and and I see that, oh, my gosh, like, that they will share, oh, this is the flower that I saw on the way to school today. Or And I see that. And they'll share political things and they were very invested in the election. Um, 
but yeah, so for me, I'd never thought about it in terms of fostering, but yeah, 100%, we've, we've learned that strangers can love you, <laughs> mm. that, that strangers can care for you. And I, I didn't know that I was going to have children. I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to have children because I knew yeah, yeah. you don't have to have a child to love a child and to impact mm. a child's life. So, yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I've never thought about it like that. I know that from being fostered, from being on the outside of families and kind of having to arrive in these dynamics and work out, okay, how does this work, um, is one of the ways I can stand in a space and facilitate for a team or stand on stage and facilitate for a group because I can stand there and observe and go, hmm, there's interesting energies here. How does this work? How can I, what do I need to bring to this space to have this work? So, and I, one of the things I love about leadership now in the 21st century and the conversation that I get to be in as, as, a, as an executive coach and a team facilitator is that our, our experiences, the pain, the despair, the joys, the successes, the struggles, the grief, all of that is what we get to bring into our leadership. It's not the patriarchal model where you have to pretend you're not a human Mm. and it all stays at home, it stays out of the office. And, in fact, that model doesn't work for men either. It does not work for men either, pretending that they are a one-dimensional, success-only, outcome-driven only, because we know the rate of mental health in men, suicide, divorce rates, alienation from their families, it doesn't work. But when we can all show up as humans and go, I can be a professional and still have wounds. Yes. Show up and do my work and still be struggling. I can be here and lead a team and still have issues in my home. And I want to be able to show up. It doesn't mean that we want to show up and vomit, you know, go, oh my God, I had an argument last night. That is not professional. But it does mean that we can show up and say, wow, I've got some personal issues going on right now. So if I'm a little bit short in the office or I seem a little bit flat, that's what's going on for me. So I just wanted to let you know that because I understand as a leader that, that that may be going on for you too. And I want you to know that I know that we're all humans sharing a space. Yes. Now, what's the work that we need to get done today? That is so powerful too, because I, I don't know when it was that I heard that business is not personal. And I'm like, um, we are the person in the business. In the business. Um, yeah. It's a, yeah, Of course it is. And now how have you seen, because I know you speak a lot and you're working with corporates and you're working with women in leadership and thought leadership. And how have you seen that this time where we've been in isolation and everybody's moved virtually, how have you seen leadership be impacted? Oh, in so many ways. I mean, a reoccurring conversation I've had with my clients and with um leaders that are working with teams, the kind of presentation I've been doing for organisations is they've never had to have this many conversations around mental health. Wow, yeah. So they've had to educate themselves around mental health. And my job as their coach is like, okay, that's great. And how's your mental health? Mm. (laughs) Bam, yes. That is the, mm. yes. Yes. You know, it's like great that you're looking at, but how is your mental (laughs) health in holding other people's mental health? You're affected by that. I actually went to go and see, um, and this is one thing that I love, I'm now going to be talking about because I've just discovered it for myself as a 46-year-old woman, I'm going into perimenopause now. And as someone where well-being is one of my core values, I've decided to find a functional female doctor. And the reason she's my doctor is because she had in her bio, I'm a perimenopausal woman. I was like, there you go. So there's a human. And because you've said that, I want you as my doctor. Yes. Right? So I was seeing her and she said, you know, I'm seeing... I'm seeing doctors that are also perimenopausal women who are having to manage people during a global pandemic. Their practices are completely full and I'm seeing them because they're not looking after themselves. So this chain 
of us being connected to each other in this way is really powerful in knowing that, you know, every single part of who we are is valid. Every mm. single part of who we are is what we bring into our space for leadership. Part of the work I love, um, an organisation that I, I'm doing, you know, that I'm part of is 100% human at work. So this comes from my visit to Necker Island, um, Richard Branson being part of this network, me speaking on a panel on Necker Island about this. But this is the global conversation is how do we get to be humans at work? And as entrepreneurs, we're so blessed mm. that we get, and I know the way that you share as well, that we get to share our humanness. And yeah. that is what attracts people to the work that we yes. do. Because you attract a certain type of person. I attract a certain type of person. There are overlays in who we attract because we're able in our work to say, oh, my gosh, this is what's happening right now, you know, or this is what I'm feeling right now. This mm. is what I think right now. And what the corporate space is trying to do is look at how do we honour the humans because the humans are leaving the corporate world in droves. Wow. In droves. And yet there are organisations, and these are the ones that I work with that are like, Something is missing and we need to readdress what is going on. Mm. And it's beautiful to work with those organisations. It's beautiful to be a Dare to Lead facilitator, facilitating Brene Brown. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's, it feels like a gift. I feel that I couldn't do the work I do now. One as a woman, one as a black woman, I couldn't do the work that I do now in the spaces that I do now unless I was in this time. Yes. And I'm ready now at 46. I wouldn't have been ready at 36 if these opportunities had come into me, I probably would have gone, oh, not helpful. <laughs> yeah. you know? Now I'm like, yes, I know what I bring. I know what I bring. I know the value that I bring. And, yes, I want to do this work. How was that? How was going there? Because you went to America. I went to Texas. You got- Texas. Yeah. yeah. How was that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, how was that? How was Texas? Look, um, <laughs> I will go wherever Brené asked me to go, right? Yes, okay. <laughs> Texan, and I love Brené, and that's great. I mean, not only do She's I love that I love her in a kind of surface way, um, but I deeply admire and respect her, mm. and I love her humanity and how she shares, and it was actually her that really validated the way that I want to lead in the world. Um, going to Texas, San Antonio, as a vegan was challenging. Oh, yeah. You know, I, to be honest, I had... I had um, I had already geared myself up. I was like, you know, I'm going to Texas. I know where I'm going. I know it's a meat-loving country. I'm not expecting there to be a vegan, you know, cafe on everything, every corner. I will live on guacamole and chips for a week. Yeah. <laughs> I, not an issue, you know. I'll be honest, when I was just like, yeah, actually, this isn't going to work. And I was in a hotel and the menu wasn't great. So I thought, actually, I'm going to check out of the hotel. I'm going to go to a service apartment. I'm going to take an Uber for an hour out of where I am or whatever it was, half an hour. I'm going to go to Whole Foods. I'm going to buy up for the yes, week. Yes, Whole Foods. Yeah. Oh, just I miss it. I go, yeah. I know. I do um, miss it. I love Whole Foods um, because when I first went to a Whole Foods, what, 15 years ago, that was groundbreaking. I was working, yeah. and, you know, I was working as a chef in an organic restaurant in England and, yeah, to go to America and see Whole I was just like, my yeah, friend who I was too like, are there any other places you want to go while you're here in New York? And I was like, yeah, no. Nah. Let's just stay in Whole Foods. Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, maybe? No. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, the training, the people, being in that room. Um, Brene talks a lot about permission slips. So with the work that I facilitate as well, it's like, what do you need to give yourself permission to do? 
And I remembered I was kind of there. There was a table of us Aussies. We'd kind of spoken. We'd met sort of online beforehand and we're at one of the front tables. And I realised when I got in there that people were being kind of pretty subdued and pretty. And I'm actually a really excitable, joyous person yeah. and fun. I love fun and I love <laughs> and pranks and all that stuff. And I walked in that room and I realised I thought, I need to give myself permission to be so completely overwhelmed with excitement and joy right now. I am not going to play it cool. I am not going to. Yes. I am interested. Renee Brown is about to walk in the room. I've had to jump through hoops to get here. In terms of, you know, her selection process and criteria, as you can imagine, is extensive. Of okay? course. And to be in that room and I got there and someone said, hey, girl, I was like, I, I am. I said, I am so excited to be here. This is incredible. This is incredible. So that was great. I was having a couple of conversations. Then somebody said, have you picked up your hoodie? I was like, what? They said, yeah, yeah, we get their hoodies. They're a dare to leave. I was like, there's a hoodie <laughs> as well? If I get to be here in this room, they're a hoodie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, my job. <laughs> my job. I ran out. I literally danced out. Where's my hoodie? Oh, my God. Um, you know, as a runner, I wear hoodies after my long runs and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So, yeah, look, it was incredible. It over, it, she over-delivered. She's everything that she professes to be. Hmm. She does not, ta- she has no time for falls either. She is compassionate. She is em- she's empathetic. She is strong. She's an incredible storyteller. She is incredible yes. funny. Um, her, to, to be able to facilitate her work, there's only, I think, 600, 700 of us in the world that get to Wow, Kimmy, that's amazing. And it's an honour, you know, and she's constantly, her work is, you know, it's 20 years long and she holds her work in such high esteem and expects us to do that too, and we do. And it's a, ple- it's a pleasure to be part of the alumni and part of her facilitator family. Wow. How long was it for that you were there? Oh, my gosh. It was, the training itself was three and a half days. Wow. But we had to have been within the leadership and coaching space and accredited or in management leadership. Like there were quite a few criteria that we had to meet and we can only facilitate there to lead if we already have a, a background Yeah. You know, within this work. You can't just go there, you know, without having your own practice and without so having clients and organisations because she's not going to just hand out, you know, 20 no, And work. she shouldn't. My gosh, her work is so powerful. And it's so powerful. So... You know, it's work that we facilitate and yet we're also constantly learning and teaching as well. And that's what I think, personal development, personal growth, growth, professional development, we always want to be working with the people that are doing the work of the work mm. we're doing. So I have my own coach. Yep. I need a safe space that I can arrive and talk Of course. Um, and we as facilitators need to be doing this work as, 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 as well. Yeah. Yes. What is the something for you, the biggest thing you've maybe worked through this year for yourself, developing yourself and going to the next level of yourself? What's been something that's come up for you that you've been like, oh, I want to go there, do that? Great question. I think, and this is kind of geared into the Black Lives Matter thing as well, with my unlearning, I remember feeling very exposed. Um, I was talking to my husband about it. I said, I feel that for those of us that are Black navigating white spaces every single day, there are certain survival mechanisms that we have had that no one's kind of known about. Like, it's just how we've lived. It's just what we've had to do. And I think certain women have to do that too. And I suddenly felt incredibly exposed. And one thing that I've always had to work on is this idea of I get to be in whatever space I want to be in. And I think that's been a real um, 
I'd say it's something that I've been working on for quite a long time, but this year has kind of galvanized it. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't shared this story before. Um, it's funny I say that, I'll be honest. And people say to me, why do you say that? You're always honest. But anyway. Yeah, and um, I said to you, it's like, let me be real for a second, even yeah, though I'm yeah, always yeah. real. <laughs> That's me. Um, I was walking. I went out one day during, like, that whole um, Black Lives that matter erupting in America. And I was walking, and, and there's a beautiful bridge that I run across and walk across often. And I saw, and the sun was shining on the water, and it was beautiful. And, and I looked and I thought, oh, that's really beautiful. And then I thought, but don't, don't loiter on the bridge. And I just thought, oh, where does that come from? And I just thought, oh, my gosh, and there it is. It's don't be a black person loitering, number one, mm-hmm. because people might worry what you're doing and why you're there, number one. Being English, don't take up too much space. Like, don't overstay your welcome. Mm. And, and I thought, I'm going to stay on the bridge that's nice. makes me feel emotional now. Oh, yeah. Because actually it's a really small thing, but it's a really big thing. I thought, I'm going to stay on the bridge. And not only am I going to stay on the bridge, I'm not going to smile at people as they walk past to let them know that I'm not going to something. I'm not going to. Yes. Something. And that I could feel the tension in me of like wanting people to know, no, I'm okay. It's okay. Like I can be here. It's fine. I thought, no, I'm just going to be on the bridge. And then I felt the tears coming and I'm looking down the wall and the tears are just flowing in. And then someone walked past me and there was something in me that made me think, I need to turn around and, and look to see this person. I turn and it's a black woman walking over the bridge. And I don't know her. She doesn't know me. And she looks at me and she goes, are you okay? And I said, yes. And, she's, and I said, are you okay? And she said, yes, because we're here. Mm. and that was a really big moment for me just standing on that bridge just feeling uncomfortable with taking up space with not making it okay for people around me and just allowing myself to stand there and it's something that I've learned from my husband we were talking the other day about what we've learned from each other Mm. and I've learned from him you know he's a white middle-class male who was born into privilege because of the skin he was born into and he has taught me in our 18 years together I watch him and I'm just like how can you just have that confidence to just like do that thing? And he's like, what are you talking about? You know? Um, and I watch him and how he operates in the world. Um, and, it, and it's been, it's really good. It's been really good for me, you know? And what he's learned from me, from me we we're talking about this, is that what, what he's learned from me is to kind of be able to look at that not everyone's experience is, is the same as his, mm. <laughs> you know? Um, and he's a very beautiful, open-hearted, incredible human, Um and he has been able to look at the world through a different kind of a lens, you know. It's such a gift. It's uh, My husband, too, is Australian and has really lived an amazing, beautiful life. I mean, his parents are still yeah. together. He, Things, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm like, there's this whole word about resilience. And, and he schooled me because my American self was like, the resilience here and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, actually... Yeah. And we, we, he to, told me about Australia and the resilience. They, it's a different resilience, but they yeah. are they have resilience. And it's interesting because he's been able to take, like, it sounds like your husband's incredible. He's been able to take you on and all your life and your stories and really see it and use it in his life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Me and me with him. Yeah. You know, I think it's beautiful, that beautiful idea that you choose the partner um, or 
well, you choose a partner and then you have to choose that it's the partner that's going to, do you know what I mean? Like, cause mm-hmm. like the constant choosing, because that's where power comes from, the constant recommitting um, that, you know, we have decided that we are the partner for each other and we have chosen that these are the things that we get to teach each other. Yes. It's not that it's true. We've just yep. chosen the mm-hmm. And I love that you talk about it and recommit to it. You know, it's like, okay, what have you, and those are the conversations that are so important. We got to do some couples work during the the pandemic, the lockdown. Who didn't do couples? Seriously, it was, we got to do it with other couples and seeing how, oh, if you were going to work on your marriage ever or question anything, it was like. Well, this is a beautiful thing, isn't it? I remember I interviewed Sarah Wilson and one of the things that she said early on, I think, when, when did I speak to her? Maybe for business chicks, it was early yeah. on in the piece. And she said, and it has stuck with me, she said, COVID has been the great uncoverer. So the uncoverer mm. around climate change. Suddenly we're like, oh no, we can't, we can't stop emissions. We can't. Yes. And then it's kind of like, oh, really? Well, you just have. So mm-hmm. um, the uncoverer around, you know, systemic racism, um, the un- and the uncover it in marriages, it's like suddenly everyone's together and in families. And it's kind of like, well, if you were like, if you were not present to what was, what was present in your marriage, suddenly COVID has uncovered it. Yes. And it's there and it's in your face. And the opportunities for those of us in relationship is to now you have the opportunity to work on that thing that maybe you have been too busy to do, or maybe you work together in such great spaces and that's kind of overshadowed the areas where things aren't working. Yeah. So I really believe what Sarah said. I thought it was a very powerful insight to say COVID has been the great uncoverer. And then my addition to that was, and then we get to choose what we do with what's uncovered. Yes to move forward and not say that was a time it's like no we can take this for us we were rushing our kids around to childcare, waking up at 7 a.m waking up at 6 a.m i sleep till eight o'clock in the morning everybody okay i do it proud i'm like ah, i get to wake up late and i don't have to rush them around yeah exactly they don't need to be rushed exactly no and people have you know one of the i'm doing a facilitation process for business chicks in a couple of weeks and i'm so yes excited about i can't it. wait for that i'm so excited for it. <laughs> I don't want people to end this year. You know, the memes are funny. You know, the, oh, yeah. I've seen the trailer for 2020. I don't want to do yeah. anything. <laughs> um, yeah. It didn't happen. You know, it's yeah. And yet, <clears throat> if we are pulled towards growth, there's an opportunity. Mm. And this isn't about positive thinking, so I'm not a fan about positive thinking, but it is creating a space for people to look at what have I gained this year, but also what have I lost what am I grieving or what am I not, what am I pretending I'm not grieving and yet I am? Um, what do I want to take forward? What have I learned? You know, all of these questions to once again create the space for people to work out this is what this year has meant. Not, mm. oh, and there has been a silver lining or, oh, yeah. because it's not that. It's, as I said, we are all in different boats. None of us have come out of this year unscathed mm. as um, uh, uh, Rachel, Rachel, Oh, who's the beautiful Rachel? Girl, wash your face. Oh, yes, Rachel Hollis. There you go, Rachel Hollis. So she was um, interviewed the other day and I watched it. She said, no one's coming out of 2020 unscathed. Mm. And once again, very true words. So I want us to be able to be present to what, where have we been scathed this year? But also we have had, we have all gained things this year. Yeah. Um, and it's not that one outweighs the other. It's just that they can sit side by side. We can gain and lose at exactly the same time. It's so funny. We had a retreat that we had to cancel. And I said to all my stu- my clients, I'm like, you actually had a retreat. Maybe it wasn't the retreat you wanted, but you definitely <laughs> retreated. Back. Yeah. You had to retreat yeah. into your house and into your mind and really sit with the thoughts and the things and 
everything. I mean, was the year of, yeah. look at this. <laughs> no escaping. Yeah. No. Okay. So I want to ask you because you have yoga, then food, then now what you do, how did this, how did what you do now transition? Like, how did you go? I remember I heard about being an actress yes. and I want to ask you, do you still want to be an actress? Do you still, is part That's of you? Great question. Um, it was funny actually when my husband, when we had two young kids under five, um, my husband, you know, it was just the beginning, like his sort of work. He's like, are you sure you don't want to be an actress again? Because, you know, <laughs> I was earning good money. Because are you sure you don't want to be an actress? And I was like, yeah, no. Um, do I want to be an actress again? No, look, I don't, I don't have a pull to it. Yeah. But I still love it. I, yeah. I, if I was called, and this is an interesting thing, this is what I know. There are certain, certain shows. So there's a, a, an amazing play called Raisin in the Sun. And that was written in the civil rights movement. And I remember seeing that in London after I'd given up acting. And I do remember thinking, oh, I would have loved to have been in that show. Mm. Um, I had, you know, I have friends that are actors and musicians and, and I know producers and stuff in Melbourne now. If I was called by someone and they said, there's a role within this particular show, are you interested? I would definitely read the script and I would definitely oh. be on Okay. Yeah, because I'm yes. open to it is. Yeah. But what I did know is that I didn't want to spend my life being someone else. Mm. So oh my god, my, tell me. I just yes. didn't want to spend my life being other characters. I wanted to spend my life learning about myself. I also I that. really enjoyed acting, but I didn't because I had a child of a survival. It wasn't a dream for me. I mm. I sort of share I share this story a lot that I, I was with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I was in New York, you know, mm-hmm. that's a pretty incredible gig. Yes. Talking to another actress, and you know, we were chatting about dreams, and she said, Oh my god, my goal is to be Lady Macbeth when I'm 40. And I remember thinking, this is a white actress, number one. I thought, well, I'm not going to get to be Lady Macbeth when I'm 40. Yeah. You know, that wasn't something that I had mirrored. I thought, two, I love Shakespeare, but I don't really see that as my life mission to be Lady yeah. Macbeth when I'm 40. And I didn't want to take that away from her or judge her, but it made me think, well, what do I, like, what's my goal within acting? Like, am I going to be, and once again, I think for me, acting didn't work for me because somebody else was in charge of whether or not I could earn money. Mm. And I loved my agent. I had an incredible progressive agent, but I didn't like that I was waiting for someone else to tell me if I could pay my rent that month. Um, one of the great things of being an entrepreneur, you know, yeah. you're the one that kind of gets to have a little bit more say around that. Yeah, yeah. So I loved acting. It was fun. I was blessed with the opportunities that I had to work for the National Theatre and the Royal Shakespeare Company and be on television for three and a half years. And, um, and, and yet I knew that that's not what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Okay, you said something, and I've always thought about this. I had dreamed of being an actress since I was seven years old. And when I had my first child, I hadn't done it. I hadn't followed the rabbit hole because I moved to L.A. when I was 18. And I'm like, oh, this isn't what I thought. This yeah. is too crazy. And I couldn't sleep on someone's couch. Yes. And I didn't get to do it. So I felt like there was something undone. And when my, my child was born, my husband said, why don't you go to these classes? And I remember sitting in the acting class. And as soon as my butt hit the chair, I was just, I started sobbing like, oh my God, I've been wanting to sit in this chair my whole life. It felt like that. Yeah. And I did it and I loved it. It gives me chills because it's such a, I just respect the art, like the art of acting and it's incredible. And what I realized was me, like what you just said, me being an a, a, a character and studying her and being her felt very me with myself. 
Mm. I don't know. It felt very, it's about me with myself being this character. And then when I started coaching women and sitting in circles of women and doing events, it was like me with the women. Yeah. And then I'm like, my heart chose, like I thought for sure I was going to be an actress. And I was like, that's felt very focused with me. That was just my thing. But mm. when I was with the women, I'm like, oh, this is community. And I just chose that. I feel like it chose itself. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. Steve Jobs talks about that, doesn't he? He says, because when I look back on my career, I've had many, many careers. Yes. And, been, <laughs> that lot, and in some ways, like I said, but I've only had one career, you know, because it's mine. Yeah, um, yeah. And Steve Jobs says that you look back, maybe it doesn't make sense at the time. And I can't say that I ever thought it didn't make sense. But when I look back, it's like I started in food. I'm a creative at heart. I'm a maker at heart. And I started with food and food took me to acting because it's creative and because I love deep diving into things and I love scripts and I love pulling apart scripts and learning about characters. And my training was a three-year method training. So it was never, oh, you get to be a murderer. The question was, what in you would kill? Yes. You know, like this is the Daniel Day-Lewis, like this is the deep, deep. Yeah, that's good. You know, the beautiful Viola Davis, like that. Oh, my God. She, I wrote this down on the piece of paper because I'm like, Kemi, who are we? Are we like, like, this is ridiculous. All of the things, Viola Davis is my favorite. And you were talking about the rawness and watching her on how to get away with murder. It was like, it was fucking art. But have you seen her in Fences? I have seen half of Fences. What? Because I I know I had my kids. It wasn't a good time to watch it. You know, it's like, so I was trying not to be an asshole to my children and be like, you need to go to sleep. But she's, I have to finish it. Yeah, do finish it. But, um... When I, and the acting, therefore, it means that I'm very comfortable on stage. Mm. I'm very comfortable on stage. It's why I um, am more, I'm committed to connecting with my audiences. I'm not committed with giving them a PowerPoint that's yeah. like the same content where I'm talking at people and they're yes. just going, who are you? Um, <laughs> I, connect, I make jokes. I'm happy to do that. Um, and then, you know, with that, the yoga is my foundation. I was a yoga teacher in Notting Hill in London for five years. But five I, years, I, Wow. But I realise I and chefing at the same time. Yeah. Realise I, I, for me, I couldn't create yoga as a commodity. I am so glad that there are teachers that do, and I have so many incredible yoga mm. through my years that I love. But I realise I actually cannot give this out as a service because I need this as a foundation for me to do the work that I want to do. So I made the choice. Yoga is for me. Yep. I will pay for yoga. I don't want people paying me for yoga. Mm. Um, and then that speaks into my sort of what, how I coach with yoga and meditation around self-compassion. Um, I am very much an action oriented coach, 100%, but not at the expense of someone's mental health and well-being. Yes, yes. I will have clients who are like, yeah, and I'm going to do it. No, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I don't go, yeah, 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 yeah. I go, why? Mm. You know, and sometimes that they're like, what do you mean? Why? Well, we need to know why, <laughs> you know, and are you sure that's going to work with the responsibilities that you have? Are you sure that yes. because we've spoken about your burnout three years ago, what were your red flags then? Do you think this could, how can we have this, you achieve what you want to achieve, but does it need to be yeah. go, 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 go. And then it will have people look at, Oh, but I just thought that's what, you know, achievement. Okay. You thought that's what it looked like. Okay. And what's been the impact of that? Mm. you know and what has worked and what hasn't worked so how do we move forward so then sometimes they're like yeah so I just gave you a list of 18 goals <laughs> let's I'm gonna go for three yes 
You know? It's true. The burnout is real. It's it's such a hustle and grind. And I love Gary V, but then there's parts of me that just go, everybody, let's not try to be Gary V. Because Gary V, go ahead, boo. Do you? I love you, but it is so funny that you mentioned Gary V because about two years ago, I, one thing that I admire about him, talk about someone that's just who he is. No, mm, yes, yes. Um, and I remember kind of binging on his content and then Sam Gash said to me one day, she goes, oh, my God, Gary V's coming to Melbourne. Do you want to book tickets because you've been talking to me about him? <laughs> Do you want to book tickets? And I was like, I, I, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, why? I said, I, I, the thought of it, I'm exhausted. Like, yeah. I just, I said, I actually need to put him down. Yeah. Um, I admire what he does. I think he has incredible content and I have no intention at all of mirroring anything. Yeah. That he does. <laughs> it's the same with speakers. Speakers that will say, yeah, 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 I've done 285 speaking gigs this year. And I'm like, awesome. I have no intention. <laughs> I'm going to Dalesford. Goodbye. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant some stuff in the garden. If yes. That's okay, because... Me being in my garden and nourishing myself in that way allows me to show up for my audiences in a way that serves me and them. I've never wanted to be a fly-in and fly-out speaker, which for the listeners that don't know, it's a speaker that just kind of gets the gig, flies in, does their thing, flies out, goes in, flies out. I try and that's why I love facilitation within my presentations because I actually get to create a space where people leave with something that is meaningful for them as opposed to me saying, I've done this in my life. You do that. Bye. Yeah. It, it just has never been inspiring for me. I think it's so we're, we're more empowered when someone can create a space for us to work out what we need. Yeah. And the word that you use experience because it, it becomes an experience. Yeah. And it becomes an experience and it allows people to take ownership of their lives. And one thing I never, ever want to do in my work, working with women is ever to have a woman leave my presence and feel less than who she was when she walked in the room. Mm. So any marketing around that, any anything that says you're mm. broken and I'm going to fix you, I'm not interested. I yeah, yeah. No interest, no desire. I think so much of women's second guessing of who we are and what we have to bring comes from conversations that tell us that we are broken and that someone needs to fix us. I was in that world, for, you know, as a, as a teenager in my mid-20s and I just don't subscribe to that anymore. No. It's dangerous it's... and it doesn't allow us to show up. It's horrible too, because I think we think then something's outside of us Yeah. or we have to, like you said earlier, like the comparison, oh, I need to be yeah. like her if I'm yeah. going to, and yeah. there's this, it's crazy. We can't be, we actually can't be. No, we can't. We- One of the beautiful things that I have had, you know, I've spoken about being the only black person in my, you know, in my circles. One of the things I got my confidence from, I was 16 years old. I was looking in the mirror in physical education at school and I was very, very unhappy. I just landed with my with my um, fifth set of foster parents. All of my white friends had boyfriends. I was not considered in any way attractive or beautiful to myself because I wasn't blonde um, to anyone around me. Um, and I remember just thinking, actually, I didn't think it. I very much felt like it was a divine download that a voice came from outside of me into my head. And it said, if you keep comparing yourself to other people, you will never be happy. Mm. Because I suddenly realised oh, my God, I'm not like anyone here. Like, so if I keep on looking to them, like, I am never going to be, like, I'm never going to experience my life. And it was the most, I just took it on at 16. It was the most freeing message I've ever had. I have always stayed in my lane. 
when I would talk to people when I first started entrepreneurship, people say, who's your competition? And I was oh. arrogance, but I was yeah. like, have any competition unless there's another Kemi that was born in England that was negative two <laughs> looks like me. She's me. Yeah, I got a clo- clone. <laughs> I don't have competition. I'm not interested in what anyone else is doing. I want to show up a hundred percent as myself or learn to be a hundred percent myself in my journey and offer what I have to offer. I have no interest in what everyone, anyone else is doing as a way to measure what I yeah. am doing. Yeah. I have always stayed in my own lane um, and I support other women to stay in their own lane. Like I love this entrepreneurial female community that we're a part of. Yes. I love that we collaborate and that we support each other and we do things in different ways and we elevate each other in that. Um, and it's, it's dangerous when, when we try and copy each other because then we're negating who we are. Yes, 100%. It's never good for the spirit. It's not, it's not good for the spirit and it's exhausting to try mm. and meet someone else. It's exhausting. I think that too, with people say I'm not good enough, it's like compared to who I feel like yeah. the I'm not good enough is correlated directly to comparison. Because when you say I'm not good enough, there's always an image or a something of what is good enough. What's the yeah. the duality that we're thinking. And it's so beautiful when you see someone like yourself and you use your platform or even the business chicks platform. That's why I love Emma because she just is who she is. You hear her speak. She's not trying to be anything. She yeah. keeps it real. Yeah. Speaking about how hard it is and the, the, the mistakes that we make, the lessons, right? The lessons <laughs> that we get. And, and it's it's so powerful because then I feel like when we see that coming up for me, seeing women like that, I'm like, oh, I, I don't have to be a certain way. This this is okay how I am right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's really beautiful is that if we're coming from a place of abundance, which I really believe, is that there's it is that we're all attracted to different people for different reasons. Mm. And fine, you know, like the I'm not good enough is a real human because we're human. Yeah. I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable is real and it's there and it will present us, it will present itself all the time. And what I talk about in that space is I'm not good enough and <laughs> not I'm not good enough but. Yeah. No? Okay. I'm not worthy and I'm still going to write the blog post. Okay. Exactly. Maybe I'm not worthy and I'm still going to go to that event tonight. Maybe I'm not worthy because what I know from facilitating, and I want to share this with the listeners, when I facilitate female retreats, I will ask the question, how do you feel when you walk into a room? What is, what is your inner critic saying? What does the voice say? And then I get the women to share, you know, what they have said. Everyone thinks exactly the same thing. Yes. I'm going to say something stupid. That woman's looking at me. I'm not wearing the right dress. Yeah. They're not going to think I'm educated enough. I don't belong here. I, so if everyone is thinking the same thing, and actually my YouTube channel video I've done recently is, you know, set yourself free. Oh, everyone will link that. Exactly the same thing, which then means if everyone thinks they're not worthy, even the most confident white man yep. in that room thinks they are not worthy and that they don't belong. I'm married to one. I know that. Mm. You know, I work with men as well in some of the spaces that I'm in. Everyone is thinking that on their own level. And so when we know that, when we know, oh, that's humanity. Yes. So we all think we're not worthy. We all think we don't belong. So how can mm. I go up and support people? What a gift to, to know that it's not exclusive to us. It's something that we all experience. Experience. And we can create tools. And I talk a lot about the tool belt. You know, we all want different tools in our tool belt. Some of them will yeah. last forever. Some of them will work for a certain time. We'll have that particular song that just brings you that nice. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I actually had a lockdown playlist. Like, oh. I had a lockdown playlist I created. This one. And then I, did it the other. I went to press it on Spotify and I was like, I don't ever want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. 
than never listen to playlists. Back to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be yeah. It anchors I, you. Yeah, I don't want. I actually don't need that playlist. I now need post lockdown transition yeah. <laughs> playlist. You know, so um, we all think the same things. It manifests in different ways. Sometimes it manifests in arrogance. Sometimes it manifests in not showing up and withdrawing. But we're human beings. We all have the continual questions: Am I worthy? Do I belong? Am I lovable? We meet it in different ways, and I invite myself and each of us to show compassion mm. and not fight that voice. It's there. It's real. And yet we can turn up anyway. We can show up anyway. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is the best place to finish. But I do want to ask you one more thing because that is amazing. What would you say to someone who maybe is struggling with their confidence and, and, and ability to show up as they are? What's something you could say? There's no 21 days. <laughs> There's no sense of confidence. There's no one that every single action that we take or don't take builds our confidence. And what that action is, is for each individual to decipher. What may feel like an act of confidence to one person is incredibly easy for another person. You know, there are certain difficult conversations that some people go into and their knees are knocking mm-hmm. and they do it. And that having that conversation is what builds their confidence. For some people, not having the conversation is what builds their confidence. I think as well, I don't know your take on this, but confidence isn't something that you wake up one day and you have it and it's there forever. Mm. We find ourselves in suddenly we don't have the confidence. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the work is then, oh, that was interesting. I walked in confident. I left not confident. What happened? Oh, it's because that person said that thing that made me think that thing. Mm. But once again, it goes back to not that where confidence isn't going to be not because it will be. It goes back to doing the work that allows us to work out who we are and what triggers us Mm. and what do we need to build that confidence back up until the next time we walk into the room and yes. our confidence is knocked. Yep. You know? And that, I, I call it a practice. I just wrote that, that book that I'm sending you about confidence oh. and it's like, it's a practice. It's, it's like, practice. you feel fantastic and then a bird shits on your head and you go, oh, or your high oh, heel yeah. broke. Talking about birds and shitting on heads, that is not good luck. I know. I'm like, no, and I feel like it's an English phrase, you know. Yeah. I feel like that's the sort of thing the English would say, oh, bird shits on your head, that's good luck. It's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> It isn't. It is no, what it, it is. sucks. Okay, no, I got it, shit on my head now. <laughs> it's what it is. Um, so uh, that would be that would be my that would be my um, response to that. That yeah. confidence is different for all of us at different different times. You are amazing, Kimmy, and you have a, a podcast now. It's been it's in season two. Yeah, season yes. two. Out and it's, um, it's a short form podcast for the listeners. Love it. Kind of 10 minute coaching prods. Actually, some of them are like six minutes. And it's me trying, you know, through the audio, the, the audio sort of platform, creating a coaching space. It's storytelling. So I'm sharing kind of the essence of a coaching session. And then there are questions at the end for the listener to work out what's my next one action. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, I love that. I love that about podcasting because you can, everybody's like, oh, it's done already. I'm like, no, it's this new platform where you get to create whatever you want. And you've done that. I I listened to the one about courage and I was like, oh, go have that conversation with your mom, girl. I was like, yes, so good. Once again, it's everyone will listen to the same podcast and they have completely different actions and insights for themselves. Yeah. 
I love it. I love it. Okay, so where where can we find you? What's coming up for you in 2021? Oh goodness, who knows what's coming up in 2021? <laughs> you know, we don't want to we don't want to think too far ahead with the yes. closed world. Um, but people can find me on my website, kemineckthepill.com. My free resources are my YouTube channel, which is Kemi Neck the Pill Coach. Um, also Instagram. Uh, LinkedIn as well, and um, there are free chapters to my book as well. You know, like I was saying to you, I, I put out free content because then people know the work that I do and if yeah. it is useful to them. So people can also download the first three chapters of both of my books from my website. Wow, that's first three. We got your book. It's coming. I can't wait with the slow post, but anyway. Oh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so people reach out to me, say hi. Um, that'll be great. I'm happy to connect with people. We will put everything in the show notes. Kimmy, thank you for being who you are. You are incredible and I appreciate your time. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. I appreciate you, Erica. Take take care. My darling, we are in wild times right now. And in order for you to manage your mind and boost your immunity and be level-headed instead of panic, I want to invite you to consider online training to consider joining a community a sistership where you are going to be held where you're going to be supported where you have a safe space to unravel and with all this time at home you can actually better your life and work on yourself good news as well i have now done a 12-month payment plan for the online sisterhood so many women right now are experiencing trouble with their finances losing their jobs being single mothers not knowing when their next money or paycheck is going to come from and we are navigating that with our current sisterhood members we are working with every woman that we can in order to support them in these tough times and i hear you out there saying i'd love to join the sisterhood but i can't afford it i can't afford six payments So what I've done is made it a year-long program. It's a year-long program with a year-long payment plan. I really, really want you to consider if this is the time for you to join the sisterhood and work on yourself. It is available to you now. Let's do the damn thing. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate your ears, your time, your energy, and your attention. Please do me a favor and head over to Apple iTunes, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, share this episode with a sister who you know needs to hear it, and if you feel called to, leave me a review. I'd love to know what you think about the podcast. I'd love to know how this information is helping you change your world. Thank you so much for being here. I know that there are many podcasts you could listen to, and I really appreciate you listening to mine. Have a gorgeous week, honey.